the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2020 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Uh, it's the first time you've heard the show. You know, welcome aboard. This show is in a couple of different parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. The idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate. And in today's world, it's very, very important to avoid probate because the court system is moving very, very slowly because of COVID. And as far as elder law is concerned, we're trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Now, one of the ways we try to save assets from nursing home bills is look at some of the alternatives. And one of the things we like to do for a lot of families suggest is to talk about home care Medicaid. And I think that's going to be the first part of our discussion today. And we have, you know, I think she's on every week now, or at least it seems like that to me, Nicole Donnelly. <laughs> Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you. Always good to join you guys. And one one of our assistants who's worked in the Medicaid world for a long time, Chris LaVoy. Hey, how are you? All right. Now, you guys, you started to take the show away from me when we had a discussion, so I guess go from there. But, Nicole, go ahead. There is always room for you, Mr. Connors. Don't you worry. Well, guys, I know you have heard me say it before. Estate planning is not a DIY project. And what I mean when I say that is it's not a do-it-yourself project. Well, I would also like to add that it's not a one-and-done-it, meaning you do it and you let it go. As your circumstances change, sometimes your plan can change. When you estate plan as... A 40, 50 year old, maybe you're only thinking healthcare proxy power of attorney will. When you do it as a 60, 70 year old, you're thinking, let me maybe protect the house for the kids from medical bills. But there's more to it. You have other assets out there like your annuities. Qualified and not qualified makes a difference. Anything retirement does not count for Medicaid. But you have to know if you're doing planning, you need to plan for it all. So we've had some instances come up, and that's why we're talking about it today, where we plan and we protect the house. Before I forget, I just want to mention one thing. When you talk about qualified annuities and whatever, they're different 
And this is why estate planning is not always that easy. Mm-hmm. In New Jersey, uh, a qualified annuity is not a protected asset for Medicaid. It is in New York. And as far as the VA, if you're a veteran who's looking at benefits, uh, an annuity, an IRA is is an asset unless you put it into a definite income stream and then it becomes income. But you have to make that choice with the VA. As far as New York State Medicaid, an IRA, a retirement asset, a qualified annuity is not an asset. It is income. We can work from it from there. But it's always important to remember these things. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I thought that was worth, you know, a point. It definitely is. And you guys think I know it all. I learn something new every time I sit down with this genius of a man. Of a man. <laughs> He's rolling his eyes at me, so I'm going to continue <laughs> now. <laughs> but... So when talking about annuities and how important it is to shelter the assets, Chris, Kristen LeBoy, who we have here with us, she does the Medicaid applications and she sees some of the problems that come up when we leave assets exposed. So we can protect the house and when it's protected, what happens with the rest of the things, Kristen? I mean, it's very important to, like they mentioned before, making sure that these annuities or these assets are qualified because of the fact of having these principles be exempt. Um, But at the same time, you also want to be careful and double check with beneficiaries. You know, you think right away that you want to have a spouse be the beneficiary, but maybe in the long run, you know, maybe your spouse might need home care later on in which then they may not qualify because of those assets. So there is ways for us to assist in protecting those assets in which, you know, I'm sure you guys have mentioned before about trust and how to protect them in that way. Um, And just really getting a hold of, of accounts. I know a lot of people, you know, a lot of seniors want to keep in their independence, but sometimes a family conversation regarding assets and knowing what things are um, can definitely be a help later in the long run. So would you say we should move all of the assets at once or just maybe the ones they're not using, like annuities, for example? Some Most of the time they sit there for the beneficiary. It's not like the stocks or the investments, right? So what would you say is probably the first thing that should be moved, if you had to say, for Medicaid planning? Well, you definitely want to make sure that the non-qualified annuities and things that are of an asset are taken care of first, right? So um, depending on, on what it is, you can transfer those out first, right? So stocks, bonds, um like I said, non-qualified annuities, but sometimes you might need to hold off on a liquid asset, right? Depending on how much it would it would be. Again, having those conversations and just making sure that you kind of have a plan um, for the inevitable. And here, here's one thing. I mean, the general rule of thumb, first we start with real estate being put in the trust because the only effective way to dispose of it real estate to avoid probate and still get the assets out tax-free. And when I say tax-free, it's $6 million New York State per person, which means husband and wife, $12 million. As far as the federal government is concerned, it's $12 million out tax-free, and I'm using round numbers, but $12 million for husband, $12 million for wife. So if we want to get those assets tax-free, free of capital gains tax, 
we do you know a trust agreement we just give the real estate away well then the kids are going to pay capital gains tax on the real estate eventually so you know it, it's the most effective way to do it so we start with real estate and the trust then we want to start with stocks that we're not going to sell because let's say you bought a stock portfolio back 30 40 years ago for ten thousand dollars and now it's worth a million dollars and i i think if some people did the examples they could show you coca-cola and it's probably gone that way in in the numbers so that stock you don't want to sell because you're going to pay huge capital gains if you hold it in a trust till after you're gone your children your heirs don't have to pay capital gains tax so you know that's the starting points real estate and almost always real estate has gone up dramatically in value if you live in new york city and then stocks that have gone up in value those are the first two assets we put in the trust because we avoid probate on them and if we make the trust irrevocable we protect those assets from medical bills, nursing home bills. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think that was worth saying. Mr. Connors, you never interrupt. You are the star of the show, my friend. There's no such thing as interruptions. This guy gives us gold every week. How lucky are we? I mean, I get it on a daily, but you guys get it weekly, so you're very lucky to hear from him. I'm telling you now. Any other words of wisdom and pearls for us? You know, and another thing that causes confusion, people ask me all the time, can you put an IRA account in trust? And no, you can't. You can name a trust as beneficiary of an IRA account. And one of the things for Medicaid, which sometimes causes some confusion, is whether it's a traditional IRA. And I have a habit of speaking, you know, as IRAs as being traditional. But if you have a Roth IRA, there is a difference. Chris, can you explain the problem with, with the Roth IRA if you're applying for Medicaid? Yeah, so the Roth IRA is actually considered a whole asset to a Medicaid application, whereas the traditional is not. I mean, the required minimum distribution for a traditional, yes, it's considered income, which Mr. Connors mentioned earlier, we can work around that, right? But when it comes to the Roth, yes, it's a complete asset to a home care or nursing home Medicaid application. When you say complete asset, what do you mean by that, Chris? The principle of the, of the uh, IRA, so as a whole. <laughs> in other words, if you have $100,000 in a traditional IRA, you can qualify for Medicaid. If you have $100,000 in a Roth IRA, you can't qualify for Medicaid Correct. in New York State. Yep. Well, you can actually, you can, you can take it into annuitized form if you wanted to and buy an annuity that, you know, with the, with the assets from there. But again, if, if you do have a Roth IRA, there's no penalty in giving it away. Like you can't give away, you can give away an IRA, a traditional IRA. But then you're going to pay a huge income tax amount, which in some right. cases, we still might want to take that calculation because in some cases, if we have somebody going into a nursing home and they have a long life expectancy, um, we may want to take the tax hit and give the money to the spouse so the spouse has money to live on. Uh, at the same time, it's the wrong decision if the, the person who owns the IRA is going to die in a short period of time because then the spouse can take the IRA, roll it over in effect. So... And what I'm saying right now, sometimes give us a crystal ball and we can give you exactly the right answer. But the question becomes, in some cases, is the person going to live a long time or are they not going to live a long time? And we have to make calculations. We have to figure out what's the, the you know, whether we compromise on, on our plan or whatever. But we ha we have to consider everything. And there's not always a right answer because, you know, you think you got a 90-year-old husband and a 60-year-old wife, and you say, well, the 90-year-old husband's going to die first. 
and then 60-year-old wife gets in a car accident. So you never know. But the thing is, you want to be prepared for the for whatever happens. That's one of the reasons you want powers of attorney. And, you know, getting back to the IRAs or whatever, sometimes people ask me, why do I need a will? Because everything I have has a beneficiary. But a lot of those people may have one person as beneficiary of the IRA. They may not have an alternate beneficiary. And in that case, we may be using the will to collect that IRA account. That is, believe me, not ideal. But, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes let's say a, a child has both parents as beneficiary of an IRA and both of them die before the child, and the child never gets around to changing it, well, if, if they have a will, at least in that case, we have some kind of beneficiary on there. So, you know, estate planning, it's, you know, I say it sometimes, it's not rocket science, but at the same time, you got to think it out. There are a lot of things that could happen, and it's not as easy as you may think. You've always got to look at the what-ifs, what might happen. Are we covered if this happens? Are we covered if that happens? Definitely not rocket science, but as you can hear, it is detailed, individualized, and strategic, okay? Those three things may qualify as rocket science one day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I really don't even know what to say, but I guess we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You listen to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Khan, is accompanied by Nicole Donnelly, Chris LaVoy. Always a pleasure, guys. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Welcome back. To ask the lawyer with me, Mike Connor, still accompanied by Nicole Donnelly. And Nicole, you had a follow up point to, to make on our last scenario. I did. I was just wondering, because it's not something we usually do, but if you see somebody at the barbershop doing their will, is it safe to assume that it came out of a kid or a legal Zoom? Or are there lawyers out there that are just like sending you your will and telling you, hey, good luck, get it signed, give it back to me, have fun? And. and- for some of you out there, that's a better question you might think because there's some lawyers that are, you know, retained by unions and they do free, they, it's not a free will, they get paid on their union contracts, but they basically don't want to get too involved with the will. They, they're not getting paid for the individual will. So they draft up the will and they send it out and they say, please get it signed by two reliable witnesses. 
And again, that's a, a question. And, you know, there's some formalities. The witness have to sign the will within 30 days of each other. Um, it should be dated. It doesn't necessarily have to be dated. But if the will is not dated, there's a possibility that we don't know what a prior dated will or a post dated will. And, you know, in actuality, a will, the later dated will, negates the prior dated will. But if you don't put a date on it, and I've been there, and the that will was done by an attorney who just mailed out the will to the client, said get two reliable people to witness it, and nobody dated the will. And, you know, we, that will got through probate because if you read the statute, which is remarkable sometimes when you read the law, there's no requirement in the will that the will be dated. Now, the only problem is it's going to be the last done will is the one that gets filed and probated. And, of course, if you don't date it, sometimes it might be difficult to uh, to figure out when the last dated will is. And, you know, even, even sometimes with today's computers we have a problem. But at least, like in our files, we can check which will was printed last, you know, if it wasn't dated. And, you, you know, and... And you can tell people don't do it, but, you know, every once in a while you may send a will out to a client to read um, to make sure everything's okay. And for whatever reason, they sign it themselves. Maybe they don't want to pay our fee or whatever, but they sign it themselves. And you have the problem when you don't know exactly when the will was uh, dated or signed. And, of course, you know, even because it was dated then, doesn't mean it was a, the date may not be accurate. And again, it's presumed, if you have a will, it's presumed that it was signed within 30 days unless somebody can prove that it wasn't. But I, I had this one will case. Again, it was based on a lawyer who's just sent out the will in the in the mail. And the one witness signed on one day, the other witness signed on the other day. And one guy remembered what date he signed it for whatever reason. The other person didn't. And there was a little bit, you know, it, it went through court and there was a little bit of a discussion and possible objections being filed, but we got lucky and the you know, the will got through. So again, executing a will is not as simple as it may seem. You just don't fill out a, a, a will kit, get any two people to witness it. And, and Nicole, there's another thing. I'm changing the subject now, but there's another thing you mentioned. Um, people born in other countries. Plenty of those. We know a lot of them. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously, if, if you have property in the United States or if you have a green card or whatever, you can do a will. Or even if you're president in the United States, you can do a will. But ordinarily, an executor, you have to have an executor who's a U.S. citizen. Now, sometimes we can get around that after death if, if you know, it wasn't drafted properly. We can get around that by having, you know, let's say one of the attorneys here act as, uh, you know, executor, administrator, fiduciary. Um, but it's it you don't want a trustee that's not a U.S. citizen because then you incur additional taxes. You're a foreign trust, and I mean, preferably, if at all possible, you want the people that you appoint in your will to be U.S. citizens. Now, you can be an executor in New York, and it's a little archaic. You can be an executor in New York if you hold a green card, but you can't be an executor in New York if, let's say, you live in New Jersey and you have a green card. And, you know, that's one of those things that's a little archaic, but 
it's it's easy to screw things up when you're doing a will. And if you want to do your will right, you can come in to us at Connors and Sullivan. Give us a call at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. We're going to take another break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You'll listen to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by Nicole Donnelly. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, in this segment, we talk about a lot of different things. We talk about politics, history, religion, charitable giving, and I think we're gonna we're gonna combine two of them: history and, and charitable giving. And we're talking to people from Mended Hearts Incorporated, and we have Linda and Rita. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. We All right. I appreciate being here. Linda, first, can you tell us something about Mended Hearts? Uh, yes. I am the president of the Brooklyn chapter of Mended Hearts 359, and Mended Hearts is the largest peer-to-peer cardiac support group in the world. We are 70 years old this year, and we have... Over 21,000 volunteers in 420 or so chapters and satellite chapters around the country, and we are a bit international as well. We offer peer-to-peer support, talking about our experiences with heart disease, managing heart disease, or being caregivers of people with heart disease. And we do so with love and our own um, understanding of how it feels to be uh, in this situation with heart disease. Um, Studies have shown that peer-to-peer support is one of the best modalities of healing after after a major heart event. My own heart event happened four years ago at work when I found myself leaving work in great pain. I ended up at the best hospital one could end up at, and that was Maimonides Medical Center. And within 10 minutes of being admitted, I was up having a stent put in. Yeah, I listen, I've heard this from different medical doctors and whatever. If you're going to have a heart attack, you want to go to Maimonides. Absolutely. You know. So after my heart attack, I was very afraid. I did not know what the future would look like as I navigated that future. And I realized that relationships were changing as well. Um and I needed somebody to talk to about what I was going through. And fortunately, I found Mended Hearts at Maimonides Medical Center. So I joined the group. They offered so much support and love to me. And I found the monthly meetings and lunch speaker series very helpful. And two years in, I was asked to be president of the group. And I'm here today. Um, and hopefully um, uh, can give information on just what we do and how we do it all right now let me ask you something let's say for the sake of argument you you have a relative or who's had a heart attack or some kind of event what what can they receive out of the organization yeah we know peer-to-peer 
conversations yes. help. But what, we, what how, do, how does it work? How does somebody volunteer? How, how does somebody uh, By joining Mended Hearts, uh, and there are a number of ways to do that. One can contact me directly. They can contact Maimonides, and I'll leave the uh, information about that, or they can contact the national organization. And, and what we do is advocate for cardiac patients at the national level. We educate. We have uh, wonderful uh, information on all, all topics of heart disease and managing heart disease. And we um, offer webinars, one-on-one uh, uh, discussions with uh, experts. And we have our monthly meetings and, and lunch series where we um, learn about the various aspects of managing heart disease. A pharmacist might come in, the dietitian might come in, uh, a doctor might come in. And so we have found those very helpful. Most of all, we uh, we do one-on-one with patients on the cardiac unit at Maimonides, and we um, also pair up with members of our chapter if there's something in common to also offer help and support. All right. Now, you have another member here today. Uh, Rita, welcome to Connor's Corner here. And I usually don't ask this question, but I may, may I ask your age? 96. 96. And I can tell from your accent you were not born in Brooklyn. <laughs> Heavens no. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you from originally? London. I was born in London, England, of course. Okay. And so you're born in London. So you lived through World War II in London? Yes, yes. Can, can, listen, a lot of people here really don't understand the suffering and the dramatic events that happened during World War II. Can you recount one or two events that happened to you while you were in London during World War II? Oh, well, uh, you mean things that really affected yes. me my family? Yes. Was... Um, one in in particular, the bombing, of course, the Blitz, and having the roof taken off the house through an air raid. Now, this is the house you lived in? Yes, okay. with my parents' home. And even though we did, were scared, there were over 200 planes a night would come over during the Blitz, and just continuously bomb until the daylight, or until they ran out of bombs and then they ran home. But um, we we made the best of it. There was many times when there was laughter, and many times when there was so much sadness, when you hear No, I'm sorry. Okay. It's still very difficult. I know. But I think it's part of history and too many people forgetting World War II. And I, I can tell you right now, I mentioned to a couple of the younger people in the office that we had somebody talking about the Blitz today. And to be honest with you, they have no idea what I'm talking about or what we're talking about. So I think it's worth preserving for history. You know? Yes. I'm, I'm all right. It's just that some okay. memories come back. I very seldom talk 
about it so when I do it, it hurts a little you know and um, but for all that there was laughter there was everybody tried to be funny to help each other get through it you know and there was many good times you know I, I think the world or Americans admired the British for for going through that because it didn't seem I mean Hitler I think was trying to break the spirit of Great Britain oh definitely and yes. it didn't seem to work <laughs> he definitely did try to break the spirit yes but that could never happen with the British never and uh, we had some good times you know you make your own pleasures and some funny times, funny things happened that you do, you know. And there was a lot of laughter there. And then there was the other side of it where you you didn't sleep at all for months, I think. Every time I used to get on a bus, everybody was yawning and sound asleep in the seats because they never got any sleep, and yet they went to work. They got up, they went to work regardless of what happened during the night. Now, let's say during the night there was a bombing. Would air raid sirens go off? Yes. And what would you do? What would your family do? When the, when the sirens went off? Well, yes. we all had to go down to the shelters. Each house had its own little shelter in the garden. The government built it for us. And it was, it was very funny because it was only five feet, uh, six feet, six feet up, six feet across. There was five of us in that little tiny, it was made of like a galvanized steel. And you slept in there and um, that's about all you did was sleep in there and run in there when, when the air raids came on. And many, many people got direct hits and just were blown to pieces. After a while, we decided to take a chance and go into the house and sleep on the floor because it was getting a bit tedious in the air raid shelter because we were all bunched up together. We would sleep like this, you know, one this way, the other one the other way, and you fitted in till you all fitted in together, and then you tried to get sleep. Not that you got much, but to eat on the dog. I mustn't forget the dog. The dog came down the shed. She thought it was a huge game, and she would be so excited. First one down the air raid shelter. <laughs> but... She loved it. She had she had a good time. But then we all crawled out of our, our shelters when the all clear went and we got on with life, tried to anyway. And we all had to get up, go to work or you my mom used to carry on what she did trying to find food. She would be up very, very early in the morning to try and get some food, you know. And then often she would come home and say, I'm sorry, I, 
I couldn't get anything today. She could make up something out of nothing, you know, to, so that we had something to eat. But it was, we got by. We did the best. You'd be surprised what you can do when you're under so much pressure. How, how, how long did the bombings last? And two questions on this. The duration of the bombings during each night, how many hours would you spend in the shelter? Well, they during the blitz, the um, the raids would start as soon as it got dark, not dark, but semi, and the raids would start, and they'd be all night. It went on all night until the early till the daylight. You know, they they would take off and go go home, and that went on every night. And. and... For how long did the the bombings last? Excuse me. How many months, years? About four or five months, I think it continued heavy, you know. And then um, England retaliated more and bombed Germany to pieces. <laughs> you have to do that. Hey, there's so many people killed, you know. Yeah, Linda, did you have a comment? Yes. Um, when Rita and I have talked about her experiences, she mentioned uh, a market being bombed one time when she was in the market, uh, and it seemed like many uh, women and their children were, 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 were killed at that time. She herself had a, had a stall, market stall, over her, which in a way protected her. And another time, a firehouse across the street from her home was bombed. And evidently, from what Rita has noted, the Germans would target the firehouses because that's where they trained men to be soldiers, I guess, or, or, or some reason like that. And so when the firehouse was bombed, it literally the debris came and then took out her, her aunt's house, uh, which Rita was there having fish and chips that day. And she was literally under, like an earthquake, under the house. And um, the soldiers and firemen came to get them out from underneath. But it was a targeted strategy that the Germans had to take out the firehouses. Did and you ever feel, also. when did the bombing stop? Was it after the Battle of Britain? Excuse me, dear. When did the when did the bombing stop? Did they was you it after it, the Battle of Britain? You mean the actual raids? Yes. During the the time, um, oh dear, I can't remember. All right. I can't remember. I'm sorry. It's, you have to realize <laughs> I don't. Remember as well as I used to when I was younger. Your memory took just fine. No, I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, how did you get? How did you come to New York? How did you come to Brooklyn? How did I come to Brooklyn? Well, first of all, I married an American soldier, Ooh. <laughs> and um, we came. He came back during the war, and. Uh, we we didn't have any place to live. We did at first because my husband is from 
uh, West Virginia and Ohio, and we lived down there for a while, but I couldn't stand it. You know, I'm used to a big city, so we decided to come to New York. That's where I wanted to come because I wanted to be a model. I wanted to go to work and be a model. And I went to school when I came to New York to, to be what be a model. Anyway, I met my husband. I'm, I'm trying to think. It's I can't remember as well as I used to when I was young. Were, were you at a dance <laughs> when you met your husband? And we decided that we could, we would go to New York, as we were in New York, but we couldn't find a place to live in New York because all the service people, servicemen were coming back and everyone was looking for a place to live. And a lot of them brought wives, you know, the, the war brides back and they wanted a place to live. It was terrible. So we decided, somebody told us, why not try Brooklyn? So we went to Coney Island. <laughs> I loved it. I thought, oh, lovely. <laughs> and it was such hot weather there. And oh, I, I thought I was going on the French Riviera. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we just stayed there, rented a place and stayed there for about a year, just about a year. And then um, things got better and uh, we came uh, further in, into Manhattan, in, toward Manhattan. And uh, we still couldn't get a place, you know, to suit our means. So we, we, we stayed in Brooklyn and that's where I still am. <laughs> <laughs> now what... Your modeling career, what kind of model were you and, and what was your career like? Can you just describe it briefly? Being a model? You yes. Think? Well, I, I didn't know anything about modeling when I first, you know, had these desires. So I had to go to, I went to modeling school. New York had several of them. So I went there and I took the course and they, they teach you how to walk like a model, you know, because they have a special walk and um, they go through everything, you know, they go through the, the uh, industry and they tell you about it. And then you, when, then you graduate, they have a little graduation and all, my husband came and looking on, you know, very proud. <laughs> and uh, then we had to, uh, they had an agency, but I preferred to look for my own work, you know, because I knew what I wanted. So I would take anything to get the experience. Experience is what you need. You cannot get hired as a model without experience. And I would take all the more meagre modeling jobs, you know, just to learn how to, how to walk with the actual models. And um, it was very nice, and it paid off very nicely. And then when I would go look for a better job, and they say, are you experienced? I say, of course I'm experienced. 
<laughs> I'd only, I had no experience whatsoever, actually, just by looking at people and taking these meagre jobs as models. And, um, but it worked out very well for me. I was very um, uh, eager, you know. I, I didn't care how hard I worked as long as I could get what I was looking for. And uh, I, I was in modeling for about 15 years, 15, something like 15, 20 years. And that's where I stayed, and I worked my way up and up and up and up. And I had a wonderful time. I enjoyed it. I loved my work. I couldn't wait to get to work because I enjoyed it so much. And the girls were nice and we had lots of laughs and lots of fun. And Can you tell us something about your husband? Oh, my husband, he was, um, he was from Ohio, really. And uh, as I told you, we went back to that area and it just wasn't for me. I mean, I, I wanted a different kind of life and to stay there and have children and it wasn't for me. So I nagged my husband to get out of there. I said, we, we've got to get out of there. He said, well, he said, well, what kind of work can I do? So I said, you'll, you'll get something, you'll get something. And uh, he, I, met a, I knew a few people and he, he knew a few people and he, he took uh, several jobs. He worked for um, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Army Base. Brooklyn Army Base, he worked there, and he, he liked it there. Um, that's where he met the FBI, because he used to process the seamen, and the agents came and into where he worked, and they, they spoke to him, and they, they wanted him to keep his eyes out for, see, a lot of these uh, crooks that they used to get jobs on the ships and then when they got to different ports they would jump and they well then the FBI were looking for someone of importance I don't know who it was and they wanted my husband to watch for this person because my husband processed these seamen when they got the jobs on the ships uh now, Rita's husband, uh, Rita was a war bride. She came over to the United States in 1946 as part of the War Brides Act of 1945, and she was one of 70,000 British citizens, women and children, who came to the United States. She met her husband at a dance, not kind of like USO dance, and, and that's where they met, and they knew each other for one year. They, they courted for one year. Uh, before getting married, and he was in the 8th Infantry of the Air Force as a medic in England, and so that's what brought him to the uh, the other side of the pond and where she met her husband. Did he ever serve on the continent? Uh, Did yeah. your husband serve on the continent? 
during the war? No, 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 no. He couldn't stay with the with the FBI for too long because he contacted cancer. So that cut it short. Yes, and um, he was very, very sick for a long, long time. And I took care of him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was a wonderful man. There's nobody like him. He was a wonderful, wonderful husband. And he was 15 years older than I am. And didn't make any difference at all. He was full of life. And we had a, we had a good marriage. So. We were talking about this he last hung night. He on for a long time, though, he did. He was a healthy man, very healthy. I mean, very athletic, I should say. And I, sometimes I get mental blocks. <laughs> not, That's all right. I'm not 21 anymore. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing fine. <laughs> you're doing fine. Um. You know, the thing is, it's... It, remarkable sometimes when you talk to people who went through World War II, no matter what. I mean, uh, on this show, we've had many Holocaust survivors, people who survived Auschwitz and were on the run in Europe for a number of years hiding out. But, you know, maybe we forget about the people who were in England during the war that really you guys were on the front lines in, in, in a matter of Yes. You know, in the United States, the civilians were, you know, out of the war for the most part, except Pearl Harbor and maybe a couple of people in the Aleutians. But, you know, if it, if it wasn't for the spirit of the English people, maybe it would be a very different world today. And, you know, I think I think Americans should stand up and thank you guys for persevering. Uh, you know, you yes. see all the, the, the war films and the documentaries. And you wonder how do you go through that? How do you how do you go through bombing every night? How do you see your neighbors die, and go to work the next day? But yes, it, Linda. Uh, in the uh, stories that I have learned about Rita over the uh, past few years, the war did touch her family directly. She uh, lost a cousin. He was a Spitfire bomber, and he was hit twice. Second time was fatal, and he was uh, only. 19 or 20 years old when that happened. Many friends, neighbors that were killed uh, serving in the war. And, and um, her own brother-in-law uh, survived. He was a pilot. He actually flew Churchill to Russia for some kind of meeting. Uh, so he was chosen and a very elite pilot. So war was all around and affected the family very, very much. And so it, it's something that stays with Rita in her heart. She doesn't talk about it all the time, but when she does, they're whammy stories. They're, they're just uh, stop you in your tracks, actually, for what she went through. And I have to say, in all the time I've known Rita, I have never met anyone with the, the resiliency that she has, 96 now, the stamina that she actually has, and the sense of independence. She wants to do everything herself. And I believe it's that spirit that kept her going. 
during those years that were her tenure. She was coming of age during World War II. She was a girl of 12, 13, 14 in those bunkers or having the bombs drop on her. And I think we have a very soft life here compared to what Rita and her generation went through. You know, we're running out of time, but as we're wrapping up, Linda, I hate to change the subject, but somebody's interested in mended hearts. Where do they go? Yes. Um, what, where can they learn more about they, it? They can email. They can email Mended Hearts MMC, which from Mamamides Medical Center, Mended Hearts MMC at mamamidesmed.org, or they can call 917-500-2147. And some of us are kind of old listening to this, so can you repeat the phone number again? Yes, so they have time. 917-500-2147. Linda, thank you for being here. Rita, thank you, thank you for bringing history to life. That's oh, appreciated. You're more than welcome. Okay, yeah. I'm sure I'm going to get a few calls on this after it plays. <laughs> uh, thank you. We were also very thankful to the Americans how they helped us. And we loved having them. English people loved the Americans during the war. Oh, we were. I don't know what we would have done without them. A lot of people don't remember that anymore no, either. That's the other side of the coin. Well, and know. they they enjoyed themselves in England too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> well, thank you guys for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Uh... Nicole Darling's still with us. I don't know why, but I guess you got called back in. Somehow he thinks he's going to get rid of me. I don't know why. <laughs> By the powers that be. And, and, you know, Nicole, like we were just talking to this lady, 96 years old, survived World War II. Let, let me ask you something. How do you like working with some of our clients and the, the, the senior citizens? I think, you know, the stories we get each and every day, you'd almost pay them to, to give us the stories. I'm going to have to agree with you. I mean, I don't want to put my age out there, but I am significantly younger than most of our clients, and it's like two worlds apart for me. So I feel like I learned more from them than I ever did in school. All right. Now, we just went to the Cathedral Club dinner where we had the, the retired Bishop of Brooklyn and the present Bishop of Brooklyn speaking. And we happen to run in, and it's the first time I've seen him in a couple of months, Arthur Idella. What's your impression of Arthur? Let me tell you guys, I really got to give a shout out to Arthur because he delivers our commercials. And if you've only heard him on the radio, I'm here to tell you, he is the same exact way in person, just alive and in charge. So if you haven't seen him, definitely go out and see him. If you can't see him, I just want to reiterate, shout out to Arthur because he does an amazing job. He's a personality in and outside of the radio. So good job, Arthur. And you can you can hear Arthur, you know, on 970 The Answer, Monday through Friday at 6 o'clock. Now, we're going to be back, you know, next week, same station, same times. And if you have any questions about estate planning and elder law in between, give us a call at 718 718- 238-6500, 718-238-6500. We have offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, Staten Island, 
and I'm sorry, I misspoke. We have office in Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and Manhattan. We do not charge for the first consultation. The initial consultation is free. About anything we're talking about, estate planning and elder law. And our, our goal in, in coming up with an estate plan is try to cover all the bases. You know, not to miss anything, not to pay capital gains taxes, but save on estate taxes, not to save on estate taxes, only to pay more in capital gains taxes. A good plan puts everything together, and that's what we try to do with you. If you want to give us a call, give us a call again at 718-238-6500. We, you know, if you want to see me, you can certainly schedule an appointment with me. If you want to speak to Nicole, you can give Nicole a call. Same phone numbers. We all use the same phone numbers. All the phone numbers are answered in a central place. But, you know, like our, our some of our friends are saying right now, you know, the biggest mistake you can make in estate planning is not to do anything. And come in, we'll talk it over, and we'll try to come up with a plan for you. But thank you for listening. Hope we see you next week. Thanks so much for joining us. The summer wind came blowing in from across the sea. It lingered there to touch your... Hi, Kevin McCullough. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.